I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The trend, obviously, for, for years now, for many years, really for about 15, 16 years, has been like how shitty can a show make you feel? How big of an anti-hero can the main character be? Uh, TV's not supposed to make you feel good anymore. It's kind of been the, uh, the wisdom, really. But this show made me feel better than any of those old shows on Friday night on ABC. I mean, honestly. The Stream Police Podcast is brought to you by OverdueReview.com. Want something more in-depth than a sarcastic, pretentious, 140-character review of your favorite movie? Read long-form reviews of movies, TV, and music from the distant and recent past at OverdueReview.com. Hello again, my friend in television, my buddy in couch potatoism, and welcome to another edition of the Stream Police Podcast. I'm Clint Davis, the Movies and TV Editor at OverdueReview.com, and we bring you this show every couple weeks where we talk about uh, the best things streaming right now in television, movies, and music. And we're going to cover all those in the next, uh, I don't know, however long we decide to go right here on this episode of the show. Thank you very much for spending some time with me. Uh, once again, we'll be hearing from our music editor, Andy Sedlak, coming up in just a little bit. But for now, you belong to me. Let me go ahead and light my stogie up as I start every show here in my closet in Cincinnati, Ohio, breaking every fire code under the sun. Good stuff. Smoking a stogie in my closet in Cincinnati, Ohio. That's the way I like to do it. So if you listen to this show at all regularly, you know that I like to begin each episode by talking about a TV show theme song uh, because our favorite TV shows begin with TV show theme songs. So why shouldn't your favorite TV, your favorite audio show about TV shows start with a theme song uh, as well? So I wanted something creepy for this episode since we're kind of close to Halloween here. I wanted a, a creepy theme song, one that kind of scares you, one that just weirds you out. I don't know. And looking at my list, I've got like this short list I've made of theme songs that I've been pulling from um, every time I do uh, every time I do this segment, I pull one from that list. And it's a pretty long list. I've got like 40 shows on there right now, so I'll never get through all of them. But it's like my good short list and, you know, it's being updated all the time. So I had a few on that list that were like eerie theme songs. And I decided ultimately, though, to go with the one that I think is the creepiest theme song ever made for any TV show. That's why this week's pick for the greatest TV show theme song of all time is the theme song from American Horror Story Hotel.
Now, if you've ever watched American Horror Story, you know that one of the show's signatures is its opening theme and opening title imagery, which both of those change slightly each season until the current sixth season, which has irritated fans for good reason, I feel like, because it is one of the real hallmarks of the show is the theme song and the opening imagery. They're they're just stellar each time, and they're both so creepy. They're like the creepiest part of the entire show, honestly. I remember being really impressed with the first season's opening. I hadn't watched the first season of the show. My wife watched it on Netflix, and uh, for whatever reason, I just hadn't watched it. I, I didn't. I, I'd seen promos, and I didn't know if I'd really be into it. And I don't really like ghost stories, and that one was like a ghost story in a haunted house kind of thing. So I was like, "All right, whatever." Um, but she watched it and loved it, and she's like, she showed me the opening titles once because she's like, "You got to see the opening theme; it just really creeps me out." And I was really impressed by the opening theme. It was. It was so creepy, and just the, the imagery was so cool, and it was all explained later in the show, so it was really well done. And I've enjoyed every opening title and opening theme song to every season of American Horror Story so far, but I think the title music for season five, American Horror Story Hotel, had the best one yet. So just imagine that scratchy, strange music playing as you look at images of this disgusting, sleazy hotel with bloody upholstery on the couches and on the beds and weirdos crawling out of a stitched-up mattress. I think this song is enough to make your skin crawl without any images, but adding the imagery just makes it even more creepy. Now, that song was written for the show, and it's just simply called American Horror Story Hotel. Uh, and the song was composed by Charlie Clouser, who's a member of Nine Inch Nails. It makes sense when you hear the, the sound and the style of that song. And it was also co-written by American Horror Story sound designer Cesar de Villa Irizarry. And makes sense, you know, to have the sound designer working on this song because it, it incorporates some sound effects from the show and some natural sounds like doors creaking and things like that into the theme song. Um, and it's not exactly like a song that you can dance to or one that you're going to want to get out of your seat when you hear anything like that. But you're watching the show with no lights on. It's late at night. You got the wind outside causing trees to scratch the windows. And then this song comes on at the opening of the episode and it just does its job perfectly. Amazingly, when I was uh, doing my research for this segment, I, I realized that American Horror Story has never won the Emmy for Best Opening Title Design, despite being nominated three times for that award since 2012. And the opening titles are such a hallmark of the show, and they're they're so well done every season. The first season's titles were designed by the guy who did the opening titles to Seven, if you remember how, what the opening to that looked like. And that that opening still just creeps me out to this day. And I have to imagine it's the same guy. He's probably done them for every season. Uh, but it's amazing that that show has never won the Emmy for that, because when I think of great opening title sequences, not just the song, but the images as well, Horror Story is really one of the first shows I think of, and they change it every season. So it's it's very well done, and I'm shocked they have not won the Emmy uh, for it yet. And there have been five solid theme songs for American Horror Story over the years, but for my money, Hotel was its best, and that's my pick for this week's greatest TV show theme song of all time. 
it wasn't just the theme song in Hotel. There was a lot of great music in that season. I thought that was really a, a clinic being put on as far as choosing music. And, uh, you know, the, the songs that they used were just so well done. I remember I talked about the pilot episode on an episode here of the Stream Police last year. Um, and, and how that pilot episode just had so much good music in it. And it really set the scene of the show so well. Uh, and I, I really dug that season a lot. That was one of my favorites. Uh, but still my favorite season of, of Horror Story remains Coven. I just think that's the high watermark. And I haven't really liked it this season at all. I watched the first couple episodes with my wife. And uh, i got to say, I think it's the most boring season that they've done so far. I don't like the stylistic departure. Um, I, I just I, I think it's awkward and it takes away some of the suspense because obviously we know that these characters are going to get out of this alive since we're seeing interviews with them later. And I don't know. I just think it's kind of a distracting way to do the show. And I think it cuts down on the scares a little bit in order to be maybe a little bit more stylistically interesting, but that's, uh, you know, I didn't really know that that was necessary on this show. So anyways, there's my quick thoughts on the sixth season Roanoke of American Horror Story so far. But speaking of fall television, uh, I wanted to give you my thoughts so far on fall TV 2016. And uh, I I gave you my fall TV preview in the last two episodes of the show. I gave you five shows premiering in September that I thought looked like they were worth your time. Five shows also premiering in October that I thought were worth your time. I haven't gotten to watch any of the October shows yet, um, but I've watched all five of the September shows, at least a few episodes um, of each of those shows. And I've enjoyed all five of them, but I want to talk about four of them specifically with you here and my thoughts uh, on those four shows. So let me start with Better Things on FX. And all things considered, I'm going to call this my favorite new television show of fall 2016. I just have felt so, I don't know, I've just enjoyed watching this show so much. Every week I look forward to a new episode of Better Things, and I think Pamela Adlon, who stars in it, is just so goddamn good as a lead, and her character on the show feels so real and so wise and so sweet um, all at once. And This show, if you haven't watched it, Better Things is about a single middle-aged mom played by Pamela Adlon and her three young daughters who live at home with her in Los Angeles so it sounds like a pretty traditional setup for a show, right? I mean, we got the single parent, we've got the kids, growing pains uh, happening. But it, so it's like a traditional sitcom in some ways, mostly that we follow a family and that we seem to learn some lessons along the way. But the difference is that these characters all feel real and dynamic. In just the first five episodes of Better Things, almost every character has grown or changed in some way since the premiere. And that, to me, is a remarkable feat because we're not just trying to reset the clock at the end of every episode. That was the issue with, like, every sitcom back in the day. I mean, it it didn't matter. Like, Full House, if you watched an episode in the first season and then you came back and you watched an episode, like, in the third season, really nothing had changed. I mean, except for maybe, uh, oh, Uncle Jesse's love life has, you know, a different person involved in it or he's married now and he's got kids now that was really the only thing that changed uh and obviously the ages of the characters but other than that i mean it was almost like they never remembered what happened to them the week before so what was the point in sticking around and watching every single episode on a show like better things though these characters are growing they're changing week by week and they just feel real and i gotta say that pam's character who's her name is sam on the show uh she's one of the best moms i've ever seen on tv and better things goes to show you that your main character doesn't have to be this big fuck up or this horrible person uh, in order to be an interesting character or a meaningful show. She's like a good parent. She's a smart person. She's a hard worker. And she also makes for an interesting character. She's really, I mean, I'm trying to think about her flaws and 
they're not really that evident. I mean, she's not a character that has a lot of these flaws, but it doesn't matter. She feels still feels real. I'm not saying she's perfect, uh, but I mean, really, she's a good mom, and uh, she's really like the mom that we kind of all <laughs> wish we could have. And I'm telling you, there there have been moments in this show that have nearly brought me to tears because they're so well done and so sweet and uh, just handled with uh, such just great execution all the way around. The directing style of the show is also interesting. We get some long takes, but also we get plenty of quick scenes that keep the pace fast. Um, And I haven't felt bored when watching this show at all. The interactions between the characters are also really interesting. Sometimes it's grating to hear, you know, characters arguing, but it's a necessary part of this show as we've got this, uh, you know, woman who's in her late 40s and she's trying to relate to and arguing with uh, teenage girls. And, you know, I mean, how could, you know, the separation couldn't be really more wide, especially with, uh, you know, the advances in technology that have been made since Sam was a kid and now since her kids are growing up. Uh, so it's hard for them to relate sometimes, but, you know, at the human level, they are really able to relate well. And that's uh, uh, that's really because of how strong a character Sam is, I think. So the pace of the show is really well done. And, and this show doesn't hurt your head like Louie did at times. It's not really like overly artistic or anything. There's not a, a whole lot of metaphors on screen. You don't have to think so much about it. And I, I bring up Louie because the show was uh, co-created by Louis C.K., and it's produced by all the same people who produce Louis, and it's on FX, and Pamela Adlon was on Louis as well. But this show's very different from that. So if you want something a little easier to watch, this is a good pick for you. And let's just remember once again, Adlon is the lead in a television series, and she's a 50-year-old woman in real life. She's 50 years old. She's never played the lead in a series before this, except for doing voice work. Uh, her most famous role was she did the voice of Bobby Hill in King of the Hill over the years. And when you hear her talk, you, that's all you can hear because she has this really signature raspy voice. Uh, but this is why I love FX. Again, 50-year-old woman. She's never played the lead in a series before. She gets to lead this show. She's uh, you know co-writing episodes, co-creating the show, producing it, and just knocking it out of the park. This is my favorite new show of fall 2016. Better Things on FX. Could not recommend it anymore to you. And while I really love Better Things, it's followed closely by another FX show that I recommended to you a couple episodes ago, Atlanta. And now that I've watched about five or six episodes of this show so far, this is also one of my favorites uh, of this year. There's an authenticity about this show that you really don't find in a lot of television series. And this is also a great addition for FX. It's a bit more story-driven than Better Things is. Better Things is just about this family, and it's really a character study. But what Atlanta is about, it's got like a central plot a a driving narrative and it's about these three guys who are really trying to make it in the rap business uh one as a promoter one as a rapper and one as i don't really know he's just kind of support for the other two um and and really just acts as comic relief sometimes Uh, but they have a definite goal in mind they want to make it in the atlanta rap game and they want to be taken seriously uh and that's kind of the story of this show i called it before i said it was like the anti-empire because they have no money at all and they're working with very limited resources and we really don't ever see them recording um this is just trying to basically build up the rep for uh, this local Atlanta rapper and get him played on radio and things like that. We follow a group of characters who have a, a distinct goal they're trying to achieve, and that you know is always interesting in a TV show. The main character is a black man in his late 20s, early 30s in Atlanta. He's played by Donald Glover, who... Um, 
created the show, produces the show. He's written or co-written every episode of the show uh, that's been on so far. And uh, his fingerprints are just all over this thing. And he's doing a great job. He doesn't have a real solid job. He's an Ivy League dropout. He's got a young daughter with a hardworking woman that isn't sure why she keeps him around. So, again, the the characters are interesting. And we kind of get to know all of them. just as the show goes on. Once again, the show just feels real. Atlanta feels real when you watch it, with the exception of one character who, to me, drags the show down a bit in my mind by being too cartoonish. And uh, if you're watching the show, that character would be Darius. That's the guy I'm talking about here. Uh, He just takes me out of it. He's the only person in the show that takes me out of it, and that's what kind of bumps Atlanta down a little bit, honestly, is just the way Darius uh, has been. I I just don't feel that he's real at all, and he is funny. Um, He's obviously some comic relief, but just doesn't feel very real in a show that feels so authentic. The cast is mostly made up of unknowns in Atlanta, uh, but they all nail it, and this is a good look at trying to figure out what you want to be in the world. That's really what the crux of this show is. I was surprised at how funny this show is at times. It has me cracking up in most of the episodes, just watching these broke-ass guys try to make something of themselves. And it's also a good look at friendship, and those are some of the reasons why I really like Atlanta. I think it's one of the best new shows uh, that we've we've seen come on TV in fall 2016. I should have just went home, but instead I'm in here locked because it's food. I ain't seen about 11 years, man. Why was that five points about to kiss the bus, you feel me? And this nigga I ain't seen 11 years come up and talk about, man, listen, hey, boy, I ain't seen you about 11 years, but let's hang out. They gonna get a bill. So I follow him to the goddamn gas station. We get two bills. Ain't good but two of them, but they were the big ones, though. It was the big ones. You know, anyway, so nigga like, man, come on, let's go, go, go to the house and drink them. So... We get to the house like, man, my old lady here, so we just going to drink him on the porch. Feel me? I'm like, boy, APD be rolling through here, boy. He done talked me into it, so sure enough, APD didn't roll up and seen the goddamn two cans out there. Like me up for a puppy intoxication. You know what I'm talking about? Now, I'm in here, man, because this nigga, man, I ain't seen 11 years, man. I'm going to be in here till Tuesday because I ain't cash my check. That's messed up. So just, uh, again, two very solid shows joining the lineup at FX, two half-hour shows. Uh, that I have really dug a lot this year, Better Things and Atlanta. Now let me talk about two shows that uh, are new on Amazon for the fall, both of which I've watched all the way through. I'm going to tell you whether I like them or not. First off, let me start with One Mississippi on Amazon. Six half-hour episodes, and I loved this show. Loved it. Let me underline that again. Only six episodes, half hour each, and it made me feel so good. And this show made me laugh so much. Seriously, I cannot think of a show that made me feel better on the inside than one Mississippi in recent years. Because, you know, TV now, the trend obviously for for years now, for many years, really for about 15, 16 years, has been like how shitty can a show make you feel? How big of an anti-hero can the main character be? How flawed a human being can we follow and still root for? That's what... That's what really has made TV into the art form that it is. Now, it's not about feeling good. It's not like Friday night with the family, let's watch a show anymore. Those days are bygone, and those days have have kind of become uh, cliche, and they've kind of become cheesy over the years. So uh, TV's not supposed to make you feel good anymore. It's kind of been the uh, the wisdom, really. But One Mississippi is such a great exception to that. This show made me feel better than any of those old shows on Friday night on ABC. I mean, honestly, uh, it brought those kind of same kind of feelings uh, into me as I watched it. Um, And I didn't expect it at all. I I thought this was going to be kind of a dark show based on, you know, who was bringing it out. Uh, A bunch of, you know, bitter stand-up comedians get together and write a show. You don't expect it 
to make you feel so good. Uh, Tignataro stars in One Mississippi as a cancer survivor who's pulled from her home in Los Angeles to her hometown in Mississippi when an accident causes her mom to be put on life support. And then in the first episode, she's got to pull the plug on her mom uh, and go on without her. So that all happens in the first episode and really sets in motion this story where she sticks around in her hometown for a little bit while they get things settled with the estate and all that. And we watch as Tig gets reacquainted with her brother and her stepfather, both interesting characters who clearly love her but have different ways of showing it. It's not always clear if Tig loves them, although she does, and she does end up showing it. But she's a little bit uh, she's a little bit frosty at times, um, but really warms up over the show. This story is all about how complicated family relationships can be, but you know ultimately how meaningful they can be as well. That's what I took away from these six episodes of One Mississippi. I loved the characters in this show. And it was incredible how close I felt to them after just six half-hour episodes. Again, the whole season is six half-hour episodes. So we're talking about really less than three hours. And I felt so drawn into these characters. I felt like I knew them so well, and I did not want the show to end. Honestly, I wanted it to go on for ten more episodes um, just to you know kind of see them interact with each other some more. It was really a joy uh, to watch. I, I would really highly recommend One Mississippi on Amazon. Give it a watch. It's so short. There's absolutely no reason for you not to give this thing a shot. And also, it's rated TV 14. Again, what's like a great show you can think of that was rated TV 14 in recent years um, that wasn't on a network? So if you've got teenagers um, and, and, you know, like older kids, it's a fine show to watch with them. It really won't make you feel awkward or anything like that. There's, there's not much of that in this show. It does tackle some real stuff, and it tackles some identity issues and things like that. But ultimately the show just made me feel so good i really really enjoyed one mississippi and i'm glad that shows like this are being made and that amazon is a place where people can make shows like this um again six episodes to me felt a little short in this case i would have probably rather seen 10 episodes but uh the show does set it up for set itself up for a second season i should say and hopefully we see that coming in uh in years to come so one mississippi on amazon again high marks for that one from me what is it? It's a package for Mom. Well, that's not surprising. She was a great one for impulse purchasing. This is probably the last thing she ever bought. Well, you probably shouldn't open it. They're too small. I could use some new bras. But it's a joke. I see. Well, maybe you know someone who can use them. I'm trying to think. Do I know anybody with boobs? And finally, one more show right now that debuted uh, in September on Amazon is Fleabag. And this show is also six episodes that are half hour each. But this one doesn't make you feel so good. And I wasn't as impressed with this show overall. Um, I liked it for some reasons and didn't like it for others, so I'm not going to give this one as high a marks. It follows, Fleabag follows this unnamed 20-something single woman in London and her complicated relationship really with herself. It's really like a person versus self um, kind of conflict all throughout this story. Uh, I mean, she seems to really loathe herself a lot, and you don't really know why until we get to the last episode, and I'll get to that in a second. I like the style and the acting on Fleabag, but I just didn't feel as pulled in by it as these other shows that I've talked about. 
Uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge is the star of the show, and she wrote all six episodes of it. And I feel like she had to tap into some dark things in herself in order to put the show out there. And, and I really I like Phoebe Waller-Bridge. I think she's very good in the show, very honest. She's funny, seems like a natural. And I hope we see her more. Uh, I hope we see her more out there. It's it's really cool that she wrote every episode of this show as well. Uh, the main character, though, is not someone that you want to model your life after at all. She's single, she lives in a big city, she owns a small business, she has a handful of sex partners, but absolutely none of it looks glamorous at all, and none of it seems to fulfill her in the least bit. I mean, that sounds like a setup where it would be like this glamorous thing, and oh my God, I mean, she owns this business, she lives in one of the great cities of the world, she's single, she kind of does whatever she wants, but none of it fulfills her, none of it makes her happy, and honestly, it seems like she's trying to go out of her way to make herself unhappy as the show goes on. The show uses flashbacks well, and it had a a twist in the final episode that I didn't see coming at all uh, and really made things poignant. I felt like it was a poignant ending to the show that really made the entire season make sense in my mind. But then, unfortunately, in the final scene, it got a little bit sentimental, and I didn't care for that. I could have done without the final scene of the uh, first season. But, you know, if you liked Alfie, If you've ever seen that movie, if you liked that, give this one a watch because it's very similar to Alfie. And if you like blunt graphic comedy, this is strong TVMA kind of stuff. This is a hard TVMA, honestly. Um, You should check this show out if you like that kind of thing. And if you are going to watch it, though, watch it all the way through because, like I said, the ending um, really makes the entire season make sense and makes it even more poignant. So enjoyed uh, enjoyed the show. I didn't love it, though, like I did these other three shows that I've talked about. Uh, but Fleabag right now is on Amazon. Again, wouldn't say it was a bad show at all. I, I will probably come back and watch the second season of it. But it just didn't pull me in quite the same and didn't impress me quite as much as those other shows. Uh, so, again, we, uh, Better Things on FX, Atlanta on FX, One Mississippi on Amazon. Highest marks for those shows. Definitely check those out if you get a chance. And Fleabag on Amazon, I'm a little bit more tepid on, but uh, it's there for you. And, and, again, not bad. And I think we're seeing the introduction of a person in Phoebe Waller-Bridge that hopefully will become uh, a, a, hopefully will become like a comedy star that we'll see around for a little while because she's uh, I think she's definitely got a lot of talent and it's shown in this first season of Fleabag. Uh, I'm also watching Pitch. I'm watching This Is Us uh, on NBC. I'm watching How to Get Away with Murder again on ABC. I, you know I love that show dearly. And The Last Man on Earth on Fox. Uh, so those are the other shows I'm watching right now. I'll be talking about those in the coming weeks, but uh, let me just reiterate one more time real quick how great How to Get Away with Murder is. That's the show I look forward to more than any other show every week, and it never disappoints me. So, again, never too late to get into it. First season, I, the first two seasons actually now might be on uh, on Netflix. I know the first season was, uh, but check those out and, and get into How to Get Away with Murder if you haven't watched it because it's just, it's just a cool show, and it's just a fun one to talk with people about if they've also watched it. So, uh, anyways, that's kind of what I'm watching right now and uh, what I would recommend maybe you getting into as well if you're looking for new shows to pick up this season. All right, I'm going to go ahead and take a break, pass things over to Andy Sedlak, our music editor, and uh, I'll be back uh, with a new segment, and I'm going to welcome somebody into the closet for the first time ever here on the Stream Police coming up after Andy. Take it away, Mr. Sedlak. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. anybody else uh, worn out on politics? <laughs> god. Oh, God. I'll tell you. We are just limping toward Election Day, aren't we? In moments like these, I, I, I think we need music more than ever. We need harmony more than ever. So the number one song in the country right now, it's called Closer by the Chainsmokers and Halsey. So baby, pull me closer in the backseat. Yeah, there it is. It was number one last week, too. Been on the charts, uh, let's see, a total of nine weeks. Let's hear a little bit more of it. The song, also number one in Canada. The biggest song in the UK at the moment is called Say You Won't Go. It's by James Arthur. In Germany, the number one song is called Human by Rag and Bone Man. I'm only human after all. I'm only human after all. Don't put the blame on me. Not a bad song, really. In Japan, I can't pronounce either the group or the title of the song, but it goes like this. The point of this is not to give you a tour around the globe. It's not to give you culture. point is not to compare and contrast. The point, my friends, is that while the most popular songs in the world at the moment have rock influences, none of them are rock and roll songs. The genre has spent uh, decades as the most dominant musical art form in the world. In the world. But this is not rock's moment. That's all there is to it. Just like... 1954 was Elvis Presley's moment when he released That's All Right. 2016 does not belong to rock. There's an ebb and flow to things. It's it's nature. Though, there is a rock song that I do want to recommend to you. It's a new song. I'll tell you right now, it won't burn up the charts. Although it's good enough to. It alone will not fill stadiums, although it would sound great in one. It may or may not even break into the artist's set list. Although I do think that fans could learn to love it. The song is by Sting. It's called I Can't Stop Thinking About You. 
This thing is brand new. Just dropped a couple weeks ago. It made me lean forward. And then I wanted to get in the car, put the windows down, and listen again, and again, and again. I never considered myself a sting guy. It was too intellectual or something. And I'm not anti-intellect. The artists that I listen to are all uh, incredibly well-read and their music is intellectual, but for the most part, it's emotionally intellectual. Sting writes in a historical sense, and I never found it to be the easiest to relate to. I don't like the police too much. Every song to me sounded like this. People are going to kill me for that. It's just, uh, that's fine. It's the way I've always felt. Irritating. But you know what? This new song, God, I'm all in, baby. All in. Sting's new record was recorded as a rock album that's worth noting. New record called 57th and 9th, named after the New York City intersection that he had to cross every day to get to the recording studio. But isn't it funny that some artists will just sneak up on you like that? Country music was kind of that way to me. I was raised on rock, but gradually began to appreciate country music. Sometimes a country song will just come on by an artist I, I had never thought much about, and bam, just immediate. This song was that way a few years ago. I was actually, uh, I was actually in Nashville a couple weekends ago. I'd never been before, but uh, but the wife and I went down for our anniversary weekend. It was fun, bar after bar after bar, band after band after band. One band on uh, the first floor of the bar, another band on the second floor, and a third band up on the rooftop. We heard a lot of music, uh, but but here is my takeaway in talking about Nashville. It's not critical. All of the bands were, were really pretty polished, but more than that, they all had an act. They'd banter with the audience. They'd banter with themselves. You could tell that it was rehearsed, but that didn't bother me because more than just getting up and playing a few songs, they wanted to entertain. They wanted to entertain. Nashville is a town built on entertainment. Country music is the way to get there. It's the vehicle. I'll give you an example of this. At the end of one set that we were listening to, a tall, lanky dude in a cowboy hat says, that's it for me tonight. I've got to get home because my wife plans on getting pregnant, and I'd like to be there this time. (laughs) Then he says the last time uh, she had a child, the baby came out with red hair. Had a little red beard. He turns around and looks at his bass player who's got a big red beard. (laughs) Bass player raises his arms like, whoops. The audience loved it. They all had an act. Some were tough guys. Others were like the friendly stoners. But nobody didn't banter. They were all gregarious. 
They were all there to entertain. Country music was the vehicle. And on Broadway, which is a street where um, a hub of, of music clubs are concentrated, they were all pretty fun, a little hammy. We are talking about country music. But they all had chops, and they, and they kept the corn coming in a good way. It's a likable town. And everybody played this song. And that's totally cool. I felt like we were listening to, um, to like a new standard being, uh, being developed. I'm going to hear that song forever. All right, five more songs to add to your Stream Police playlist. Friends, you know that we are uh, creating the most perfect playlist known to man, and these are five more selections to add to your playlist. First, well, it's Sting. I can't stop thinking about you. You know, I'll go ahead and admit it. This one, this next song comes uh, from left field, but it's been uh, <laughs> it's been a reliable guilty pleasure. It's "Circus" by Britney Spears. Third. Britney Spears followed by The Kinks and Low Budget. You know what? I'm going to recommend uh, the number one song in Germany right now, Human by Rag and Bone Man. Maybe I'm foolish, maybe I'm blind Thinking I can see through this and see what's behind Got no way to prove it, so maybe I'm lying But I'm only human after all I'm only human after all Don't put your blame on me Don't put your blame on me And finally, the pride of Greenfield, Ohio And Grand Ole Opry member Johnny Paycheck, this is She's All I Got. Well, I said, friend, don't take her, she's all I've got. Please don't take her love away from me. I'm begging you, friend, don't take her, she's all I've got. Now tell me that's not uh, an eclectic group. That's it for me. See you next time. Peace. All right, I'm Clint Davis back with you here on the Stream Police Podcast, movies and TV editor at OverdueReview.com. Thanks to Andy for uh, chipping in with us once again. And speaking of Nashville, I'm actually going to be going back there in just a couple weeks to uh, cover the CMAs again for my day job. So if you remember last year, I did the same thing. And uh, brought back an episode just with some stories of meeting some of those people and being backstage at 
uh, really like just kind of a weird event. I kind of just felt strange the whole time I was there, but uh, it was fun and it was uh, one of our one of my favorite episodes we've done of the show. So I'll have some more stories for you coming up in a couple weeks. But interesting to hear uh, Andy's take on the Music City right there. All right, welcome back to the show. Like I said uh, in the last segment, going to be welcoming somebody into the closet for the very first time ever. Uh, because really there's not enough room, and we're pretty much sitting on top of each other right now here uh, in the closet. But uh, i got to welcome in. You know her voice because if you listen to the show, she does the uh, little intro things at the beginning. Um, it's my wife, Beth. How you doing, Beth? Hi, guys. <laughs> and we decided to go into the closet together because we've been talking like for, I don't know, months really, and really since we've ever known each other for years now. Um we both love movies. We both love TV. We watch them all the time together. And we frequently disagree on movies and on TV shows, especially on movies, though, it seems like. You know, Beth and I had kind of been talking about how could we incorporate that into the show a little bit and uh, have a little back and forth. And uh, I think we've uh, we've got a good idea because there's a type of movie that we both love but that we both really kind of disagree on, and that's horror films. Like, we, Beth, you and I, we've seen I, pretty much like every great horror movie that I can think of. I think we've already seen it. True. Our uh, first date was actually not a great one, but we went to see the remake of Nightmare on Elm Street. And I think we can both agree that that was not one of the uh, top ten greatest horror uh, no. films of no, all no, time. No, no. We both love the original, though, and that was why we went and saw that one. First uh, date. Good time. Yeah, first date. So we were, I think, both disappointed by that one. But, um, yeah, not one of the best ones. Not really one of the worst ones I've ever seen, but... Just really didn't not, need to be remade. Yeah, not that memorable, and you're right. Didn't need to be remade. They didn't really add anything to it. No. The special effects, I feel like, were even better in the 80s one than they were in the newer one, which is kind of impressive. I concur, and I also would like to add that Clint and I don't really argue ever, but we have gotten into some knockdown, drag-out fights over TV and movies. So this this is intense. This is This is real life here. Yeah, that's really like the only stuff that we have uh, that we've fought over. Honestly, is like disagreements on movies and TV shows. It sounds stupid. And it sounds like we're probably making that up, but not at all. <laughs> it's it's actually true. Yeah, these are the worst fights we've ever been in have involved uh, movies and TV shows. True story. <laughs> Holes and walls, kinds of stuff. Yeah, amazingly. <laughs> but yeah, so we decided to bring it to you guys and talk again about horror movies because we we've seen a bunch of them together, and like I have a definite favorite horror movie that I think is and like this I think it's the scariest movie ever and Beth hates the movie and then the one that she thinks is the scariest I I don't think it's an awful movie but I don't think it's scary at all so it's terrifying. we thought here before Halloween we'd kind of bring to you you know like both of our favorite horror movies why we love them and why we don't like them as well so my pick for the scariest movie ever every time I watch it it creeps me out I've seen it I don't know four or five times and every time it just it actually scares me, and I really don't get that scared by any movies, but this one just does it to me. It's uh, 1999's The Blair Witch Project. No, that's the tree we crossed. That tree is down. That's the same one. Oh, God! No. Oh, no. You've got to be kidding me! This is a joke! No. This is not funny! Mike, just please stop. Please, please stop. Please stop. Please stop. No. No, Mike, it's not the same log. It's not the same log, Mike. Same log. Look, it's not. It is. Open your eyes. It's not the same log. (laughs) And Beth can't stand that movie, so that's, but that's my pick. We'll talk about it in a second. And her pick 
is a much more classic one if you want to introduce that one. Yeah, it's The Exorcist. Um, I saw it. I, I was too scared to watch it, actually, through my entire childhood. Um, and I watched it maybe the first time when I was 20, and it gave me nightmares. I couldn't sleep for a week, and I do not get scared. I, I laugh. I laugh during scary movies. I laugh during haunted houses. I don't scare easily, but holy, True. holy crap, did The Exorcist it just... Uh, <laughs> I can't even really talk about it without being scared, especially sitting in this super dark closet. <laughs> <laughs> I cast you out! Unclean spirit! Show it up your ass! In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ! It is he who commands you! He who flung you! Prince of heaven to the depths of hell! Fuck him! Be gone! Fuck him, Garrus! From Fuck this him. creature of God! Be gone! In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Yeah, so she likes The Exorcist. I like The Blair Witch Project. They're, they're movies that are separated by about 20 years, uh, well, really like 25 years. And But I think at this point, both of those are really kind of considered classics in horror. I mean, um, obviously, The Exorcist has kind of always been considered a classic. It's always on the top of lists of the scariest movies, best horror movies. But Blair Witch has kind of has found its way. Every, I mean, when it came out, it was a massive hit, made a ton of money. It made more money. So overhyped. It made more money than like any other movie ever on top of its budget because its budget was microscopic. And it looks like it. Well, <laughs> but uh, The Exorcist was a more traditional movie, studio film. Uh, it looks good. It's got you know good good acting in it it's kind of uh theatrical in ways but um so they're different movies so yeah we we kind of come at them from different ways so why does the exorcist scare you so much though what is it about that movie because i've seen it a bunch of times and i i never really get scared by that movie and oh i think God. the first time i saw it i was probably 12 and i it didn't really oh scare God. me then either um yeah so i think it was just the fact that i grew up like really religious and demon possession has always been you know one of those topics that is just terrifying um but when i first watched <laughs> it i i think i think the kicker for me is the fact that it is it is so 70s and it's so gritty and it's so real and even though like the special effects are kind of cheesy sometimes like the projectile vomiting very but cheesy it, they are i'll give you that but but just the idea of it and and the church involvement and just the fact that I you know it's this little girl who's just take it's just it's the the premise of it is so terrifying for a a girl who grew up in a religious home um and the execution is so good and it's so classic and it just builds and builds and builds and some of those scenes just make your stomach turn and just uh, oh the stuff of nightmares I do think that the I, I think the exorcist looks really good like I love it looks great. I love the, like, fog outside. I mean, it's all, like, really kind of classic horror stuff. Mm -hmm. It's not um, – they didn't reinvent the wheel with it the way it looked. Um, it was a different kind of story to tell. And I think the fact that they they said that it was, like, based on a true story, basically, right. what kind of added to it. And that was an original thing that they did. But And it's been built on so much. I mean, people have done the exorcism yeah. genre so much. But that original one is just – it's great. And I think it's got a lot in common with a movie that we both really like, which is Rosemary's Baby. And just – Yeah, I love that. And just kind of that sense of foreboding that, you know, something something sinister is lurking in, in the shadows of our world. And that's terrifying. It's so – scary much scarier than a witch in a wood that you never actually see okay well hold on a second <laughs> but the, the atmosphere wise i mean not even to compare the exorcist to rosemary's baby is not i just 
I mean, Rosemary's Baby is better atmosphere than like any scary movie <sighs> ever. So Exorcist doesn't even come close as far as that goes. Oh, my God. And it's not nearly as frightening just because it is so unbelievable and it's such a phony story. And not it's just, unbelievable. It's cheesy. If you it is unbelievable. You went to church three times a week. All it's... right, people? <laughs> not unbelievable. <laughs> totally believable. But oh, I mean, and and you kept, you listened to demon voices on tape your entire childhood, like <laughs> Bible. Okay, guys, if you have kids and you want to terrify the ever living shit out of them, make them listen to a dramatic reading of the New Testament with all the demonic possessions. It just it puts an idea in those kids' minds, and they will never get it out. So the Exorcist really made, scared you because of other things that. You but were, it's a scary movie. Yeah. I mean, it's it's legendary for being scary. It's, it is it's legendary. Not, it's not a classic for, for no good reason. That's true. It's been copied a million times over. I think both the movies that we're talking about have been copied a million times. Like, they've been ripped. They've yeah. both been ripped off a hundred yeah. times. Exorcist, everyone's done those exorcism movies now. There's, like, a new one every year. And with Blair Witch, everyone's done the found footage, like, to death. I mean, it kind of, in the, like, ten years after it came out, everyone was doing well, found footage. there are footage. better found footage movies. There are better found footage movies in the Blair Witch Project. There are there are really good ones, and Record is the one that I think is probably the best found footage movie. But I just, I don't know what it is about Blair Witch, but the movie scares me so much because I, you talk about Raw, I mean... The Exorcist is not gritty at all compared to Blair Witch or compared to like Texas Chainsaw. The, the Exorcist looks like a theatrical production compared to those movies. I mean, I'm it's very talking, well put together. It is it's well put together, but I'm talking about like the 70s, the 70s gritty, yeah. if whatever kind of film they were using. That's more your specialty than mine, but whatever it was, it yeah. worked. It worked well for for what they were trying to convey. But how do you get more gritty than just home tape? I mean, this was just digital tape. This was not film. They weren't filming anything. They were just <laughs> kids with cameras. And I mean, they were they were college students in the woods trying to make a movie. So if you've never seen Blair Witch Project, it's about these kids, these film students that go out into the woods in uh, Maryland, and there's this legend. They interview people around town. That's kind of the beginning of the movie. That's they so have boring. some They have some interviews telling them about the witch, telling them about, and, and dropping some some of the hints of things that are going to come, and these three uh, so these three film students go into the woods, uh, led by this girl who's going to be the director of the movie named Heather, Super and obnoxious. she she's a little bit obnoxious, but I mean, hey, it's she's not a flawless character, but over time you do feel for her because she's just she doesn't know where she is. These woods are trapping them. It feels like, and there's just. It's it's like Jaws in a way because you really never yeah. see anything. It's no. all atmosphere. But you see Jaws. That's my number one complaint with the Blair Witch Project. You just you don't see it. There's no. Review. They didn't have the money but for it. I don't care. Quarantine. Once again, we are, um, record. Record. Sorry, I went. I went American there. Record. <laughs> um, that you see something that there's a moment in record sure. where it just it scares the living crap out of you. But it's a bigger budget movie though. But but Blair Witch Project, it's all this build and and no reward. There's nothing. It doesn't. You don't know what happens, and I hate that. That to me is what makes it so scary. It's because even when the end happens, you still aren't sure what was you it don't that know happened. what happened. Yeah, and that's what's the point. But you know from the beginning when they tell you that they found the footage that these kids that these students don't exist anymore they're gone but they never found their bodies so it's like were they taken to some other dimension were they <laughs> i mean what happened because there's so many weird things like when they're in the woods it seems like time disappears it's like they walk into another dimension it's mm. not earth anymore it's what's really happening there scary. i feel like it it's is it's a scary, scary. idea i mean it's not scary if you've ever been in the woods and spent the night in the, in the woods, woods i mean it, it's that's a terrifying idea I mean, 
somebody being outside the tent, like making noise and and doing things. I mean, it's that's horrifying. It's, it's a lot and then you go build. out there and there's nothing there. It's a lot of build and no reward. There's 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 no the payoff. rewards in your head though. That, I've, okay, it's all in your head. I, I've said before, if I watch the Blair Witch Project and it wasn't such a phenomenon as it was in whatever ninety nine, when you know we were kids, it would be totally forgettable. It 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 would have no lasting impact on me. I wouldn't think back and and say, oh yeah, I remember that movie. No, it would be completely forgettable. Not, there's no reward. There's no big reveal. There's <laughs> there's nothing that that leaves an, a lasting mark other than the fact that it was iconic for the time. That's that's the one defining characteristic of the Blair Witch Project. It is original, and it was a new way to do a horror movie. And, again, the fact that they could do this movie for so cheap. And they made people really think that it happened because oh, the yeah, actors— that's, that's what I'm saying. It was a yeah, phenomenon. The actors didn't do interviews. They, like, weren't allowed to do interviews, really. And then I remember they all came out at the MTV Movie Awards, and that was kind of like when the fourth wall was broken. <laughs> and it was like, oh, they're not real. They didn't really die. I mean, you knew that they didn't, but it was—in some way, you kind of thought maybe they did because there were no— big name actors in this no one could this, but, the people that were in the movie still have never been in anything else since then but i feel like i feel like it's a it's a titanic kind of issue where like you know titanic was a good movie it was a fine movie but when it came out the, the late 90s were just chock full of these phenomenon movies that just came out and everybody went and saw them and it was you know a topic of water cooler conversation but titanic is a fine movie but once again if it wasn't the big event that it was you wouldn't remember it you think the exorcist wasn't a big event i mean oh, everyone hypes that was, up so but, much but but if for good reason is what i'm saying that's not for good reason. yes for good reason the exorcist is just so long i mean it there's like 45 minutes oh, of setup when, when do you ever complain about a movie being long when it's when it's a movie that's supposed to scare me it's just too much setup and it's all Rosemary's it's all baby that movie's all set up that's why it's so good i mean it's it's but i don't understand your argument it's because rosemary's baby is to me like a character study whereas the exorcist is supposed to just scare you the characters aren't that good in the exorcist they're just not i mean they're not that memorable the mom is not very memorable the girl is not very memorable because we never really get to know her she's just a generic little girl and the priest is the mo- the, the best priest character. Is, the priest is the best character. The young priest is the best character in the but movie. You feel for him. You, you do. You feel for his spiritual struggle and for you know what he's going through trying to figure he's all the, this out. He's the best part of the movie. That's, that's a heck for of, sure. That's one more rememberable. Rememberable. That's one more <laughs> uh, good character than the Blair Witch Project has. Uh, yeah, one the, more. To me, though, the Blair Witch Project it's it's apples and oranges. It's not a movie about characters. That's not the point. I don't really. You're, you're right. The characters are not people that I love or anything but the movie just scares me it makes me feel like i'm there it makes me feel like i'm in the tent with them it make it like terrifies it just is unnerving to me the sound editing is so good and if you watch that movie in the dark like i wish i could have seen it in theaters i, I think it would have just been so impressive the first time because there's nothing else like it whereas the exorcist is a traditional movie i mean you go you know what's gonna you know in the end pretty much everything's oh, gonna be on. all right okay, so when she's when she's projectile vomiting when her head is spinning around <laughs> that doesn't scare you that doesn't give you no, a visual because um, it looks so goofy it, it doesn't look goofy. when her head spins it's, around it's, it's so silly looking. That, that's another thing i like about the exorcist is it's real effects it's not it's not cgi and it, it adds to that atmosphere it adds to that gritty feel of you know this could happen 
and it fed into my uh, my my br- upbringing of this could really happen. I'm not scared of a witch in the woods that never shows herself. <laughs> it's it, I'm it's not scary. It's it could be it could be raccoons out in the woods. <laughs> this noise. No, I'm sorry. There's enough evidence. They, well, they show you evidence of bad things happening. You just don't see the actual witch. So yeah. It, no, but to me, that's no what to me that's what makes it interesting, though, because again, you walk away talking about it, wondering what happened. It's not all spelled out for you. Whereas with The Exorcist, everything is there. You know what the yes. idea is supposed to be in the end. It's all resolved, and we can all go on our way. And what's there to talk about afterward? I mean, there's nothing to talk about. The images, the lasting impression of a movie like that. I, there is that's that's my my big point with Blair Witch Project. There is no lasting impression. It's, it's oh my god, the last no, the very last scene is so intense. It, it doesn't. You don't know anything. Nothing happens. It's so well done, that, though. Nothing happens in that movie. <laughs> nothing. Nothing. They get lost in the woods. That, there. I, I saved you an hour and a half of your life. They get lost <laughs> in the woods. See, the end. We can't see eye to eye on this one. No. We're just never going to. No. But it's really about scares, and it's like, what scares you? And I think that's what's really cool about horror movies, because... Um, it is. It's all you from can, where you come from, all your backstory, what scares you. Because like I said, I mean, with The Exorcist, I, I I don't think it's a bad movie at all. I just have never thought, like, it just never scared me, really. Whereas Blair Witch always scares me when yeah. I watch it. And Record always scares me when I watch it. And, uh, I mean, Record hell, even when I first saw it, Final Destination scared the hell out of me when I first <laughs> watched it. Um, it was so goofy. But, I, it was, I mean, it had some pretty scary moments in it, just things that you would imagine yourself uh, happening to yourself. But... Yeah, so just the exorcist doesn't scare me because it's just too polished. I feel like, oh, and it's too unbelievable to me. Like it's, it's so something scary. that could never. It's something that just could never happen to me. So Listen to the Bible on tape for a while, <laughs> and you will change your tune, sir. It'll be changed. But yeah, both of the both of those movies that we like have really turned into cliches over time. The stuff mm-hmm. that's in them. I mean, that's kind of yeah. the bad thing. They they both were great ideas that kind of have been run into the ground and. It's funny because Blair Witch was just a sequel to it. Just came out this year. Um, I think it was called Blair Witch, and I didn't see it, but um, I'll probably see it just because I love the first one so much. But there was a sequel to that this year, and The Exorcist is back on TV now on Fox. So it's like both of, directly both of these movies that we like so much um, have been kind of continued this year. So it does talk to the lasting uh, impact. I feel like of both of those movies and. Even if you don't think it's scary, Beth, a lot of people thought the Blair Witch Project was scary. Oh, so I'm well, not alone, okay? Hey, a lot of people thought The Exorcist was scary, all right? <laughs> that's true, but true. I didn't. I wasn't oh. one. <laughs> all right. Well, see, that's what I'm saying. We, we argue about movies, but uh, in the end, we'll continue to go see them together. And we, I don't know what new horror movies we're going to watch this year. Like I said, we've feels like we've already seen them all. You've never seen Hell, Hellraiser, though, so that's no. the one that I want to get you to watch next because it's so – that one's really good and creepy. Yeah. I – the the pinhead guy kind of has dissuaded me from wanting to watch that. Why? He's so know. creepy. I don't know. He's got that great, really deep voice. <laughs> I, I just the visual of it. I don't know. We'll. I mean, like I said, I don't scare easily, but sometimes you know, sometimes some of those visuals. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Just like, what like they turn your stomach? Yeah, or like what? like like for example, one that I refuse to ever talk about, but for you, audience, I will. <laughs> I will mention this one. Uh, Clint and some of his friends watched The Human Centipede once, and I really once. can't even think about that movie. Like, just those images. I'm not even allowed to ever bring it. <laughs> no, like, he's not. I can't even bring the name of that movie up. <laughs> it's so gross. Don't Google that if you don't know what it's. Don't. Just don't. Don't see the save, movie either. Save, it's a, it's, save yourself. It's not good. There's nothing good about it.
good about the movie. It I think was, I went and like hid in the back room <laughs> while that was on. Like, don't turn it down. They actually made three of them. Oh god! They made a trilogy uh, out of that. So maybe that'll become a TV show on CBS uh, or something. Uh, uh, Human Centipede: The Series. <laughs> <laughs> They'll keep adding a new person Stop! every week. <laughs> it's so bad. All right. Well, anyways, Beth, thanks for coming to the closet. My glasses are steaming up, so oh, I think it's, uh, so it's time hot. to call it a night. All right. <laughs> Maybe we'll do it again sometime. Okay. All right, guys. Thanks for listening to the Stream Police podcast. Come back in a couple weeks. We'll have another uh, great show for you again. I want to thank our music editor, Andy Sedlak. And if you uh, can't get enough of us, go over to OverdueReview.com and read uh, reviews of uh, long-form reviews of uh, classic movies and classic records and uh, some new stuff as well, but mostly older stuff that just deserved a second and uh, maybe a final look. So you can check that out, again, at OverdueReview.com. Uh, I'm Clint Davis, Movies and TV Editor over at Overdue Review, and I want to thank you again for listening. We'll talk to you in a couple weeks. Until then, stream on, my friend. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bolandbranch.com. Code buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details.